Let's open our Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. That's the last book of the Old Testament. And that is the last chapter of Malachi. So it is the last chapter of the Old Testament. I have recently preached to you about being soul winners because Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I have promised you over the years that at least once a quarter I would preach some form of a message to you about brotherly love and maintaining your personal relationships like you should. And so I'm going to take a little while and do that this afternoon. And here in a few minutes, after I lay the foundation, I'm going to give you a little study tool. We're going to go through a little bit of it. And I'll send you home to see if you can use it during the week to think of the relationships that God's given you in your life. Malachi chapter 4. These are the last words of the Old Testament. I'll read the chapter to you. For, behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud... Yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Amen and amen. Amen. And so the Old Testament ends with the word curse. The Jews, being as superstitious as they are, would quote, would use verse 5 again at the end of this chapter so that it ended with the word Lord rather than the word curse. That's not really worth anything. It ends with a curse, and it's a warning here. And this chapter is little understood today, as many chapters are little understood because there isn't a whole lot of Bible preaching taking place. Like there was just a few decades ago when I was a boy growing up and traveling with my minister father and hearing lots of different men preach. But we want to know what Malachi 4 is telling us. And again, I want to repeat that the one preaching service that is the most carefully detailed in the Bible is found in Nehemiah chapter 8, where it says, this is what should happen from a pulpit. And so they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense and cause the people to understand the reading. That's what preaching is. It's not entertaining. It's not storytelling. 
It is reading the Word of God and giving the sense or the meaning and causing the people to understand what's been read. I've just read to you, I hope it was relatively distinctly, Malachi chapter 4. The prophecy that is being made here is commonly misapplied today to being, to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is going to come back and burn up the earth. And that before Jesus Christ comes back, Elijah is going to make another appearance and warn everyone that Jesus is coming and going to burn up the earth. That's, that's a common understanding of Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Very quickly, because this is not my main point, very quickly, this is a warning about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. This is a warning of the destruction of the Jewish nation in 70 A.D. The event that took place in 70 A.D., not even known about in most churches, is most helpful in understanding so many prophecies of the Bible. Those men, that wicked generation of Jews that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, was destroyed 40 years later. They had said, His blood be on us and on our children. God heard them and gave them their petition. Just like He had given their fathers in the wilderness when the ten spies came back and said, There's giants in the land of Canaan. We'll never be able to take it. Would to God we had died in the wilderness rather than being killed by giants in Canaan. Are you familiar with that? Well, God heard that prayer. And guess where they died? In the wilderness, because God had them wander around in circles for 40 years until He had killed off everyone that was older than 20 years of age except two men, and it wasn't Moses and Aaron. It was Joshua and Caleb. If you're named Joshua or Caleb today, you've got a great name. And you ought to live up to it. It's a wonderful name. But God had cursed that generation that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the day coming that's going to burn them up is the day of the destruction when the Roman legions encircled the city of Jerusalem, kept them in on every side. They starved to death on the inside. Women ate their children. The names of the women are identified in the books of Josephus, who was an eyewitness of the whole account of what took place. It was a horrible, it's the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. Nothing happened in World War II even close to it. If you think Hiroshima or Nagasaki in Japan was something dramatic, you're wrong. Only 70,000 died in each of those two places, and they died like that. How would you like to die from starvation so severe that you were eating your children? And the number that died was 1.1 million. Nothing has ever happened like it on planet Earth to any people. Jesus said nothing had happened like it, nothing would ever happen like it, that would happen to the generation that crucified him. That's found in Matthew chapter 24. I don't want to get off on that. I'm just going to tell you, and if you want to check it out further, you can check it out further. I would recommend the little book on prophecy that we sell, but we never sell it to you. And we only sell it on the Internet because we want people to show a little bit of sincerity. We sell it way below our cost. I'd give it away if I knew they were going to read it. I just know that when you usually pay a couple bucks for something, there's more of a chance that you'll read it. It's just like Daddy's reasoning that if you pay for some of your schooling, you might get better grades than if he paid for everything. Right. You, you understand. We, need, we want a little motivation. But it's a little book that we have available that you can find out much more about this and see it well documented from Scripture and history. But that's what verse 1 is about. The day is going to come that's going to burn up like an oven and burn up all the wicked and all the proud in the nation of Israel. This is a, a Jewish prophet to the Jewish people. Verse 2. But unto you that fear my name, those that love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be rescued from it. They're not going to die in the Holocaust that struck the city of Jerusalem. And look what Jesus said to them when he was on earth. 
He said, When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And flee to the mountains of Judea to be, re- to be delivered from what's going to come when those armies encircle the city of Jerusalem. Right. You know, he went on to say, you're gonna, You don't want to be pregnant then. You don't want to be nursing a baby then. Because it's going to be horrible. Then it's going to be great tribulation, greater than the world had ever seen. And there was the warning. And they were delivered. And this is throughout the pages of the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches. And he, he sets the Lord Jesus Christ up on the throne of heaven. And those men that heard him that were elect and regenerated were convicted by it. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. But then he goes on, three verses later, he said in Acts 2.40, with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. The generation that was going to be destroyed for crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. But those that feared the Lord Jesus Christ, obeyed his word, were out of the city of Jerusalem, were not caught up in that siege by the Roman legions. And the Lord Jesus Christ was with them with healing in His wings, and they grew up like calves of the stall. That's a protected calf in a stall, fed and nurtured to grow, to come to full maturity. We're Christians that obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it was Jesus in Matthew 24, or John in Matthew 3, or Peter in Acts chapter 2, or Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, it's described throughout the pages of the New Testament. It is such a shame the average Christian doesn't even know what happened in 70 A.D. I didn't. I remember I was about 20 years of age when I heard a preacher finally explain it to me and open and show me some of the passages, how it all fit together. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. It was so simple yeah. and so obvious and so wonderful. Amen. Verse 3, you'll sh- you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord was going to make a huge difference between the wicked in Israel and the righteous. The righteous are those believing on Jesus Christ. The wicked were those that led to his crucifixion. Huge difference. And the city was burned up, pulled apart. That city made of stones, that magnificent temple, made of monstrous stones, Jesus had said it will be pulled to the ground, and every stone will be pulled apart from another stone, so it will not be two stones left attached to each other. And then Terentius Rufus, of a legion that was left there, drew a plow across Mount Zion, digging up the very foundations of the temple of the Jews. Because it was no longer the temple of God. When Jesus was 30, he went into that temple and found money changers, and he made himself a scourge, and he drove the money changers out, and he said these words, Ye have turned my father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. So what was he calling it when he was 30? My father's house of prayer. When he was 33 and a half, just before he died, he walked into that temple for the last time, and he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then, 40 years later, he desolated it. And this is what is being prophesied in Malachi chapter 4. Verse 4, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant? which I commanded unto him in Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, in the region around the mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's laws for Israel. Remember the law of Moses. What was the law of Moses? If you keep my commandments, I will bless you and make you greater than any nation on earth. If you break my commandments, I will tear this nation in pieces and scatter you to the four winds of heaven. One verse, remember 
what Moses said stuck right in the middle of this warning that's coming. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The temptation is to read the words, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and assume that's got to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And therefore, if it's the second coming of Jesus Christ, since it says Elijah the prophet, Elijah's going to come back the second time and warn about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so off go prophetic speculators to write books and make movies like Left Behind. But what is it saying here? Look at Matthew chapter 11 to know who Elijah is. Now, I've told you something, and I haven't proven it from the Bible. I'm asking you to assume it and to check it out and and prove it to yourself later. Is that an apostolic correct thing to do? It says of the believers in the city of Berea, not Berea, South Carolina, but Berea of Macedonia of Greece. In Acts 17.11 it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The citizens of Berea the believers in Berea, versus the believers in Thessalonica were better. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Amen. So you're supposed to go home and say, you know, you said Malachi chapter 4 was about the destruction of Jerusalem and blah, blah, blah. I want to prove that. Well, go home and search the Scriptures. Because if you try to search them right now, you're not going to hear what I'm saying. And I'll give you the tools to be able to search them. We've always done that. This church and its membership is more capable and more equipped with online Bible programs and how to use them than anybody we've ever known. Because I expect you to go home and anything that's doubtful to your mind that you don't think I established very well, prove it wrong. I want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. But I'm going to show you right now who Elijah is. First of all, we need to settle on something. Are we going to believe the Lord Jesus Christ's interpretation of Scripture? Is he good enough as a commentator? Okay. Well, what if he says something that disagrees with every prophetic writer and filmmaker today? We still going to believe him? That's right. Okay. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus starts talking to his disciples about John the Baptist in verse 7. That's when he starts. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? Why are all you people out in the middle of nowhere? Out in the wilderness? What are you out there for? A reed shaking with the wind? Are you, are you out there to look at weeds blowing around? But what went you out for to see? Jesus is asking. A man clothed in soft raiment? Did you want to see a man in a $500 suit? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Why are you out in the middle of nowhere? Verse 9. But what went you out for to see? This is Jesus asking. A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That's Malachi 3.1. Does it tell you that in your center column reference? Do you have little numbers or little letters beside Matthew chapter 11 and verse 10 that says, Go to Malachi 3.1, and there you'll find those words as it is written. Behold, I send my messenger. It's so... The man that's described as a messenger coming before Jesus in Malachi 3.1 is John the Baptist. Verily I say unto you, in verse 11, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
John the Baptist, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, is the greatest man a woman ever gave birth to. Because his message was one, and his message was simple, and his message was this short. Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. That's all he knew. That's why it says, the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than he, because you know a thousand times what John the Baptist knew. All John the Baptist was told is, you're going to be baptizing, and one's going to come to you, your cousin Jesus, and when you baptize him, the Holy Spirit's going to descend out of heaven. That is the Son of God. Was John faithful to his ministry? Amen. Oh, yes, he was. At the end of his life, when he was in prison, did he send some messages to Jesus to say, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? Because his ministry had already ended. It was so truncated and abbreviated. You know so much more than John. Are you thankful for what you know today? But we should be thankful for John the Baptist as well, because he wasn't afraid of anyone. Those Pharisees would come out to him. We'll get to that in a moment. And he wasn't afraid. Verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. It takes violence to become a Christian. What kind of violence? The violence of repentance, turning your life upside down, changing things. The violent take the kingdom of heaven by force from the days of John the Baptist. Because here's the timing of things. Moses and his system of religion lasted for 1,500 years. And the Bible says this in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Believers from all over were pressing into the kingdom of God because John introduced it because he was the one coming before Christ. Verse 13, I'm going quickly over these verses due to time, and this is not my intent. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, that's like Luke 16, 16, and if ye will receive it, and I'm asking you right now, will you receive it? This is Elias, or Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Notice these two statements. Do you have ears to hear the truth? Are your ears open to be able to hear and understand truth? If they are, then you know that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Elijah the prophet. Somebody will say to me, but it says Elias. It doesn't say Elijah. When a word comes from Hebrew into Greek to English, it changes. Elijah is Elias. Isaiah is Isaiah. Elisha is Eliseus. Hosea is O.C. Joshua is Jesus. No woman ever named her baby Jesus. His name was Joshua. And that's another story for another time. Because Joshua is Jehovah is salvation. But when that word Joshua comes from Hebrew into Greek into English, it is changed to Jesus. So that when in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 4 that we read about the successor to Moses... What was the, who was the successor to Moses? Joshua. When you read about him in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 4, if your pastor is telling you the truth, what is he called in your Bible? Jesus. So don't worry about the word Elias. That is Elijah. This is Elijah, Elijah that was four to come. The one prophesied in Malachi chapter 4 is John the Baptist. Do you have ears to hear it? Most don't today. They don't want to hear it because 
a Star Wars type of finale to the world is much more exciting than to find out that Malachi chapter 4 is about the destruction of Jerusalem when they don't know anything about it. They don't even know that an event occurred in 70 AD. And it says, if he will receive it. Will you receive it with me? Amen. Elijah's John the Baptist. Right. You say, I need two witnesses. I like you. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Right. So Matthew 17. The Lord didn't leave us alone with Matthew 11. Look at Matthew 17. Jesus has taken his favorite apostles, Peter, James, and John, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was glorified in front of them. God spoke from heaven. It was one fantastic event. A bright cloud overshadowed them, verse 5, and they heard God's voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Because, standing next to Jesus, were Moses and Elijah. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Verse 6, And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Everything had disappeared and they came down from the mountain. And here, here's what happens. They had read Malachi 4 that morning in devotions. Matthew 17.10, His disciples asked Him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? Why are you here? And Elias is supposed to come first. And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, whatsoever they chose or willed to do. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Amen. So who is Elijah from Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6? John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist have to say? Matthew chapter 3. Let's go and, let's, let's go read the first preaching of the New Testament. John the Baptist is out in the middle of nowhere, but there is one thing there. There's water. The Bible said there had to be much water because baptism is only by immersion. You've got to be buried and raised from water, even with John's baptism. And so it tells us he was there because there was much water there in John chapter 3 and verse 23. But here we are, Matthew 3, and men are coming out there and being baptized by John the Baptist because he is announcing the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there is one coming after me that is mightier, mightier and greater than me. I'm not even worthy to loose the shoe latchet of this man. Right. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees come out there. You know, they don't like this religious competition. So the Pharisees come and the Sadducees come in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Pharisees the most conservative sect of the Jews' religion, the Sadducees were the liberals. The Bible tells us that. Come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation, notice that word, O generation of vipers, you snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So there's wrath about to come on the Jewish nation, and he's mocking them. Are you out here to repent with these other believers? Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You don't believe the Bible because you haven't believed on him that's coming after me. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. 
And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Remember back there in Malachi 4.1, it said there would be neither root nor branch. Well, here the axe is being laid to the root of the tree of Israel. And John the Baptist is announcing it. And now, not 2,000 years later, now is the axe laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Did Jesus baptize them with the Holy Ghost? On the day of Pentecost. Did Jesus baptize them with fire? At the destruction of Jerusalem. Whose fan is in his hand. Jesus already has a fan in his hand. Have you ever had seen bellows or used a fan to get a fire going? Whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Malachi, it was called stubble. Here it's called chaff. He's going to burn it up. That's John the Baptist's ministry. Repent, because 